we serve that loves us first, right? That in spite of anything that we've done, he showed himself uh, faithful by coming to us and proving his love to us. And so, yeah, as a church, we gather once a week at least, right, and celebrate that because we're celebrating who we are now, this new reality that we've inherited in Jesus Christ, that we are new creations in him, and we celebrate that. Hey, well, welcome to Tri-Cities Church. If this is uh, your first time here, we do welcome you. Glad that you are here as our guest. Um, there are cards in the seats in front of you, um, and, and uh, we, we just love to know that you're here, whatever information you feel comfortable filling out. If you could fill out one of those, you can put it in one of these buckets um, at the end of the message when we, when we share in communion. Um, but we just love to know you're there. And, and also, any prayer requests that anyone has, uh, we'd love to be spending time in, in prayer with you um, this week uh, and sharing uh, any burden, concern, or even praise or celebration that's going on in your life. Uh, we like being a part of those uh, with you and also talking to God uh, along with you about those, those things. Um, there, there was a, a couple of weeks ago, or not a couple of weeks, I guess that was a couple of months ago now, we, um, we had a group that, uh, in some, I don't know if we ever talked about this on Sunday morning, we had a group that came and, and used our building. It was a, a mentoring group. They were, they were looking for uh, churches uh, to, to rent and to use in the area. And, and this church kind of randomly sent us an email uh, and, uh, and, and they, I think, I think that's how they contacted us. I think it was just a random email. But I remember asking them and saying, Hey, um, uh, how, how'd you get our information? And they said, well, we were pretty much went through the list, right? And they contacted every church and we were just going around and we were looking at churches because we needed a, a church to use for our training. It was a mentoring organization um, that trained, uh, uh, college students to be, uh, mentors for elementary school students. And so, um, so uh, they, they looked at a lot of churches, and, uh, and, and they landed on our church. And one of the things as they were walking through the building, they kept saying was, man, this church is in good condition, right? This is a great space. You should have seen the space we were in last year. Um, and, and the more we get, uh, you know, those kind of opportunities, we're thankful for the door that God has opened for us as a church here, right, to be able to be in the position to purchase this space. But also we recognize the responsibility that God has laid upon us to be good stewards of this space, right, to take care of it, to make sure it's clean, to make sure it's presentable, um, to make sure that it is a tool, right, um, we've been saying that over and over again. This is a tool. It is a resource um, that we believe God wants to use in this community for the good of this community. This is not the home of the church, right? This isn't our residence. The church isn't here, right? The church is where you are. There the church is. Um, this is a resource that we believe God wants to use in this community uh, to bless people, to change lives, to bring transformation um, and so we celebrate the door that God's opened, but realize the responsibility. I say that to say, right, next Saturday, uh, we have a work day here at the church. Um, and work day is, is um, it, it does not matter, um, 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 it, it doesn't matter um, how, I'm trying to find a polite way of saying this, how, how strong you are or, or how, uh, it, it doesn't matter what you're so hurt. Skill level, skill level, that's a good word. Your skill level, right? There is work to be done here in this, this space. 
Um, one, to prepare it so that it, people walk in here and continue to say, this is a great resource and we want to use this, uh, you know, in order to, to mentor kids. Or we want to use this in order to have a wedding. Or we want to use this in order to do, you know, we, we our neighborhood association to meet here. We, we have those kind of things. We, we want this to be a space that people are able to use that ultimately we're able to give back into the community. So work day begins next week at 9 o'clock. And we'll be working until, right? We'll be working um, uh, until you uh, either have to leave or, or, or we finish the work that we, ha- that we need to do. So, so whatever, whatever time frame, it would be great if you can be here in the morning at 9 o'clock. But if you say, well, I can't be there at 9, but I can be there at, at 11, um, we will welcome you at that time as well. But it would be great if you, would, if you could be here um, next Saturday at 9 o'clock for Workday. I think there's a sign-up form in the back um, where you can sign up just so you'll let us know so we can know who's going to be here so we can know how much work we can be prepared to do because there's a lot that we have to do. All right, <clears throat> so I'm excited about that because it's an opportunity for us to, to get our building better ready to be used. All right, well, this is the eighth week in the book of James, eighth week. Uh, we're moving along. I, I, I do believe, originally I said that this series was going to be 13 weeks long. I do believe that that's not going to be possible at this point and that it's going to be at least 14 weeks long. Right? All right, so, um, so, so but we're going to wrap this thing up at some point, but, but I've been uh, encouraged by the book of James and I've enjoyed this time. Um, because what he has to do is so practical and applicable to our lives. It's almost like he gives us step-by-step uh, kind of instructions sometimes. And so that's beneficial for me um, because I'm not good at like reading into things or interpreting what I need to do. I need somebody to say, do this, now do this, now do this, now do this. Now this is what this should look like, right? Uh, I, I just need that in my life. And James kind of lays it out for us. So Hopefully you've been enjoying studying James as much as I have. Uh, Let's pray and then we'll get into our message for this morning. God, we give you thanks this morning that you've given us this opportunity to gather in your name. um, That we can gather in this space and be equipped for the work that you've called us to do. God, we thank you that it's by grace that we are saved. And that in that salvation, we're becoming your people more fully. And that as we're becoming your people more fully, we're doing the work that you've created for us to do. And so, God, we thank you for that work because we know that it is good, that it is holy, that it is righteous. And so, God, as we open the book of James this morning, I pray that you make it clear for us how we ought to live in this world today. That we can know um, better when we walk out these doors what it looks like to serve you, to live on mission your mission in this world. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And so the thing, the thing about James, um, um, the, the, the thing about James that I didn't realize that I was going to wrestle with so much, um, I, I began this series talking about um, the fact that James is so practical, so applicable, that, that he gives us so much advice for our life and what our behavior should look like, um, that there are some people throughout history who have not, um, who have not cared very much for the book of James, uh, not because they um, are against what it says, but they've felt like it can easily lead into this 
ideal of being saved by works instead of being saved by faith. Because James is saying, hey, do this and do this, and this is what your life should look like, and this is how your behavior should change when you're in Christ. And he's listing out these works, right? And he even says that faith without works, right? Remember what he says? Faith without works or deeds is, is dead, right? And so your faith is null and void, right? This salvation in Christ is null and void if there aren't particular works that begin to follow it. And so James is kind of laying out this, 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 uh, almost clear, I uh, say almost clear. Somebody once said, never say something's clear, right? Because, because it's not always as clear as you want it to be. So this almost clear image of, of, of what it looks like to, to live in, in Christ. And, and for me, it's been so practical and applicable. But the thing I've been having to remind myself is, um, because, uh, but, um, maybe this is telling on myself, I, well, I don't, I don't read a lot, but I do like, um, there are some good self-help books out there, right? Um, the Bible is not one of those, right? All right, all right, so let me say that. So there's some good self-help books out there. I just read this book called Hardwiring Happiness. I've talked about it several times. It was a great book. It, it helped me understand um, how we are uh, kind of wired in our life not to be... Um, not to be happy, um, but you can hardwire happiness into your life. I'm, I'm not sure that makes any sense. Um, but, 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 but I just read this book. It's a self-help book. The Bible is not one of those. And so when we read books, especially like James, right, that's extremely practical and applicable and saying, hey, do this, do this, do this. This is the will of God for your life, right? And giving us advice, this kind of behavior modification advice. We got to remember that James is not a self-help book. He's not saying that God wants you to, um, to be happy and have this nice existence, this easy existence. And if you do this, your life will be so much better, right? James is not going there with us. Um, what, what James instead is saying is that what God is doing here, right, is forming a community, a different kind of community, but God is forming a community, this different kind of community that points to something that's much greater and bigger than itself, right? That God is forming a community that lives by a different ethic, that has different values, different morals, and doesn't look like, in our text today, he's going to say, and doesn't look like the world. Right, that the church is a community that doesn't look like the world. And that's really what he's been getting at this whole time. And so in James chapter, um, we're in James chapter four this morning, I think. Yeah, James chapter four this morning. Um, but if you flip back a couple of, of, of chapters in chapter two, he talks about favoritism, right? We've been there. We talked about that. But, but, uh, favoritism in our society is culturally acceptable, right? We, we have favorites and nobody's really being, being, uh, hard on you because of that, right? Um, uh, there's things that James is looking at that were culturally acceptable, especially in biblical times. So he's saying there's these practices that are culturally acceptable, like, like favoritism, That's, that, that nobody's going to really look down on you upon, but that's not fitting for one who's in Christ, right? And then he talks about taming the tongue, talking negatively. And he says there's, talking negatively is sometimes socially uh, acceptable, right? If you're in your break room, sometimes a group of people in the break will sit in the break room and talk nasty, for lack of a better word. They will talk nasty, say nasty things about one of their coworkers, and that's socially acceptable. Nobody's sitting there going, we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, she walks, whoever it is, walks in the, in the break room, right? And everybody gets quiet. As soon as she walks right back out, right? The conversation stuff. Because talking negatively in, in many environments in our society is socially acceptable. But James is saying, hey, that's not fitting for ones who, who is in Christ, 
right? Because that doesn't ultimately point forward to the reign of God, right? Because what God is doing is forming a community that lives by different ethic, different moral, different value. And when it does so, right, it points forward to the reign of Christ. He talked about last week this idea of selfish ambition, Right, that there is this this, this um, selfish ambition that is um, uh, that is a, a common social practice in our society. This I'm going to get mine. I don't care who I have to step on to get ahead, to get my promotion, to get my job. Who I have to talk ba- bad about, who I have to stab in the back. Right, that's socially acceptable in order sometimes to climb the corporate ladder or or to elevate our status or or, or, or however that is, um, to make ourselves look better. Um, but James is saying that's not fitting for one who is in, in Christ. And so in this book, James is clearly wanting us to see that there are certain behaviors and practices um, that are culturally acceptable but are not fitting for one who is in Christ. And, and what he's saying is when you live into or give into thoughtlessly those practices that are common in our society, no matter how acceptable they are, when you thoughtlessly giving in, give into those, right, you're acting like the world. And James wants us to see that. So what he does in this text this morning is he's juxtaposing these two things, right? This worldliness and godliness. Godliness and worldliness. And he wants us to see that godliness is a far superior way of life. That godliness is a far superior way of life. Of life. Now, worldliness for James uh, happens when we, um, when, when we thoughtlessly, when we give in to these certain tendencies that are, that are present in this world. Now, and, and worldliness does this, right? It, it, it looks at this world as if it's the sum of all things. Let's, let's look just in James, in James chapter, um, chapter 4, and I'm going to read at least four verses here. He says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires? Desire is a key word there, right? Don't they come from your desires, the, 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 your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill, right? So he's, he's kind of giving us a big example here, right? Um, uh, hopefully not many of us have killed. Um, <laughs> at least I got one laugh out of that. <laughs> we could be friends. Um, and so he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you, right? You desire, but you do not have, so you don't kill. Maybe we don't go to that extreme, but we do go to some extreme, right, to fulfill our desires, to attain our desires. And so really he's saying, hey, you desire something, you can't get it, and you go to one extreme to the next extreme in pursuit of it, right? He said, you covet, but you, can't, you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight, right? That's maybe a more realistic example among this crowd of saints, right? Um, you are quarreling and fighting. Um, you do not have because you do not ask God. Now, let's pause right there. He's not saying that you have your desires, right, that exist separate from your faith in God, and, and you ask God and you get those. That's not what he's teaching us at all, right? He's teaching us rather that God is a God that wants to shape our desires, right? He says, um, um, when you pursue desires that you find planet within you without pausing and asking the question, where does this desire come from? And does this desire line up with my faith in Jesus Christ? You're acting like the world and you have not because you have not asked God what your desire should look like is really what he's getting at. He's not saying you have not your desires that are planted within you that you don't know where they came from uh, because you're not asking God. But he's saying the desires within you 
aren't lining up with the will of God. And so he says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Right? We're asking to fulfill this desire. I want, I need, I gotta have. Right? And we're not questioning that desire. We're just recognizing it and recklessly pursuing it. And he says, you're asking with the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, right? On your own pleasures without questioning that desire. Then he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So he's saying, hey, we're pursuing these desires um, without asking God or without without inviting God. I don't like that way of saying it either. Without uh, making space in our lives for God to bring transformation, not just in our actions, right? Um, because the temptation is we read this book and we make it all about behavior modification and just change. But, but we, we, um, we ask God, we pursue our desires without um, making space in our lives for God to transform our minds and the things that we ultimately desire. Right. And so we go about our lives and we're trying to make these changes. The Bible says, right, I'm I'm not I'm I'm not cussing out people as much. Right. Because James says I need to tame my tongue. Right. And James says, um, um, uh, don't pursue things selfishly. He talks bad about selfish ambition. So um, I I still pursue things a little bit selfishly, but at least I'm doing a little bit of charity work now because James says don't have selfish ambition. And James talks about this this favoritism. So uh, I I act nice to people that I don't like, um, but then talk about them when I get home to my wife behind their back, right? And and I pretend as though like my behavior is being changed so that it lines up with Christ, but I haven't made space in my life for Christ to to transform my desire, right? To change my mind and ultimately the way that, that I'm living my life. And so what James wants us to see is that when we do that, that's worldly. When we do that, here's what we do. We, we treat God as a mere resource at our disposal if and when we need him, right? And yeah, that just sounds wrong, right? Um, that we treat God, but, but, but if you think about it, that this um, is good to know he's there if I need him mentality is prevalent in our world. Um, it's prevalent in our church, right? That it's good to know that he's there just in case I need him, right? That is in my life, right? And I trend that way if I don't check myself, right? And it's in our lives, and we trend that way if we're not checking ourselves in our action. But what James wants us to see is that if we're living like God is just there if I need him, but I can pursue all my desires, I can chase after the things that, that I want, I can pursue the pleasures um, that are just planted in my heart without allowing God to bring that transformation, right? I, I'm acting like the world. You see, the world sees the things that are in front of us. It sees itself, right? The world, the things of this earth, is the sum of all things. In other words, the pursuits of the world end in what we can see and attain what's physical and what's ultimately temporary. And so if we, when we live like the world, what James is saying is, is um, he's really saying, hey, we all know how that story ends, right? It, it ends in death. 
It ends in loss. It ends in defeat because there's nothing in this world that you're carrying beyond the grave. Right? There, there's nothing here that, yeah, you can pursue after that. You can desire a, a, a new, better, more luxurious car, but, but, but you can't take that with you, right? That, that it doesn't, it doesn't go beyond, it doesn't even go in the grave, right? Somebody else is getting it and driving it, right? <laughs> uh, you, you could get a bigger house. You can have more space. You could collect more stuff, right? And nobody's being buried there even, right? You're being totally disconnected, right? The story of this world ends in defeat, loss, abandonment, right? And nothing here goes beyond the grave. And so James is saying, hey, let's just, let's just, let's just pause for a moment. Um, let's just pause it for a moment and think about this. Um, you say you have faith in Christ, one who's defeated death, right? One who's promised something better and greater um, than this world for you, but but yet we're still pursuing the things of this world, and all too often ignoring Christ. Yeah, when that stuff is ultimately temporary, and you're not taking it with you, and James is saying, "Oh, oh, oh slow down, slow down, slow down." This 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 really isn't making sense uh, uh, here. That, that that stuff's not coming with you. So instead, he's showing us that godliness is a far superior way of life because when we pursue godliness then god is the sum of all things right not the world but god becomes the sum of all things and so in our pursuit of god right and godliness what we gain is god right and he is all that we need right the definition of enough should be God, right? If we have God and nothing else, then that is all that we need because in Him, our needs are met. In Him, we are complete. In Him, um, the, the life that we desire, right? The things that we pursue in order to fill a void, that void is filled in Christ Himself. And, and James is saying, and I always feel like, like, um, I always feel this way about, I mean, it's just the way everything is, is, is in life, right? We, we desire immediate results, right? Um, we, 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 we desire that, that I, um, I give my life uh, to Christ. Um, yeah, I, I believe in him, and I profess it before church, and I'm baptized into Christ. And, and, and here's, here's what we want. We want all our desires um, that don't line up with Christ and all of our actions that don't line up with Christ to completely be, be taken away uh, and, and to be gone and to no longer exist. Um, and we want no more temptation. We want, we want in, in reality, we want what we want to be Jesus. Um, but we find that we still have wants that don't line up with Jesus. And the scriptures are challenging us to inhabit that difficult space right and to continue to pursue Christ even though there are other things tugging at our heart right even though there are other things that are pulling us away and so when we talk about pursuing Christ or even that song that we sang um uh, the last song we sang I want to be where you are right this is I'll cross the the furthest desert I think travel near or far right Christ has already He's already pursued us, right? He's already come 
to us, but, but there are constantly things in this life and in this world that are tugging us away from him. And so what James is saying is that we got to constantly live in pursuit of him. But the thing I love about this text is that James is teaching us that God is constantly pursuing us as well. Now in James chapter 4 verse 5, which is a difficult passage, in James chapter 4 verse 5, James introduces the concept of divine jealousy, right? That God um, is jealous for us, right? That he jealously desires us to be with him and to be oriented in our lives, to be directed to him. Now, let, let me read this verse, and we're, we're going to kind of slowly, at least a little slowly, walk through this verse um, because it poses some challenges for us. In James chapter 4, verse 5, uh, let, me, let me read, I'm going to read verse 4 and 5. It says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Verse 5, and this is the challenging verse. Or do, or do you think the, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? Now, that's what my Bible says. <clears throat> that's what my uh, NIV uh, copyright 2011 Bible says. Now, you might be reading out of an NIV Bible that says something a little bit different. Um, because in 2011, they updated uh, the NIV version of the Bible, right? And the challenge of this text is this, right? Um, that if you're interpreting this scripture uh, from the original languages, from Greek, um, it, it clearly says, um, I don't want to use the word clearly, it says, um, I, I use that word a lot, somebody corrected me on that once, so now I'm a little self-conscious about clearly. Um, it says, right, it, it does say that God jealously desires the spirit that he calls to dwell within us. But this ideal of jealousy, right, this ideal of divine jealousy makes interpreters uncomfortable or translators uncomfortable with the Greek text because it's difficult for us to have a God who's jealous, right? When was the last time you knew jealousy that ended well, right? Um, a jealousy leads to stalkers, right? Jealousy leads to uh, some bitter, in, uh, uh, difficult to deal with people. Jealousy leads to people to do some corrupt and, and vile and nasty things. I've never known jealousy to go well for anyone or anyone involved, whether the, the, um, the, the, the jealousy or the jealousor. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there's words for those, but I, I've just never known jealousy to, to, to go well for us. And so um, even in the scriptures, right, the, the Greek word that's used for jealousy, um, that, that's used here in this text, right, it's always used to refer to a human attribute that just does not go well, right? It's sinful. It longs for something that's outside of God's will. And so when the translators came to this text, right, and they began to wrestle with what does it say, and they're looking at it in the Greek, because that's the language of the New Testament, right, and they're looking at it in the Greek, and they're trying to figure out what's going on here. They're like, surely this text isn't saying God is jealous, because that, that doesn't end well. 
And so when the NIV um, uh, was, was published in, I think, 1973 and then updated, or a new copyrighted new version in 1984 or whichever date, anything pre-2011 didn't say that. And I think we actually have the, the, the um, uh, yeah, yeah, the spirit he calls to live in us envies intensely, right? And this envy is the word for jealousy. That's the way they translated it in the NIV pre-2011. They wanted to say that, no, it's not God that's jealous, right? It's that own spirit that's within us that's jealous. So it wants to say we're jealous, not God, because God can't be jealous, right? Because jealousy doesn't end well. But when we look at this text, it's saying that God is jealous for us. In other words, that God is going to extreme measures in pursuit of us and that God's jealousy, here's how it ends, is wonderfully destructive, right? That it's wonderfully, beautifully, gloriously destructive. Listen to what he says in verse verse 6. Um, uh, it says, uh, uh, well, let me read verse 5 and then I'll read verse 6. Or do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's called to dwell in us? So God is jealous, right? He's jealous for us. We've established that. That's what the text says. We can't avoid it because we don't want a God who's jealous. But um, it says in verse 6, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. You see, God in his jealousy will oppose our prideful actions because he wants our lives to be turned back to him. God's um, uh, jealousy manifests itself in this world in ways that are wonderfully, gloriously, beautifully destructive. He will break down the things that draw our attention away from us. He will stand in the way of our plans that will draw us against, uh, away from him. He will, um, he will, he will hinder relationships that ultimately will draw us against him. And it hurts and it's painful. But in the end, right, when we see what God is doing and we turn to him, we find that his jealousy was wonderfully, beautifully, gloriously destructive. And we can look back and say, I I see what you're doing there, God. (laughs) Um, And I thank you. And I thank you for doing that. You see, this ideal of a God that's jealous for us is nothing new, though. In fact, there's other places in the Scriptures, one of our favorite places of the church in the Scriptures in the Ten Commandments, right? Our go-to verse, not so much anymore, um, but what used to be the go-to verse, we've talked about that, plastered on churches, plastered in courthouses. Um, easy to understand, but we um, thought that we gained something by having it there. <clears throat> I'm going down a bad trail. Uh, Exodus chapter, chapter 20, Ten Commandments. Listen to what it says. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, right? It's clear, it's right there. Um, 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 yeah. Uh, punishing the children for their sins, of, for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hated me. 
but showing love to a thousand generations, to those who loved me and kept my commandments, right? So there's this jealousy that's introduced right there in the Ten Commandments, this jealousy that is God pursuing us through discipline in order that we might be turned back to him. And he's saying, I'm relentlessly doing this as a jealous lover, right? I love you and I'm pursuing you, pursuing you in a way, he says punishing, right? He's pursuing us in a way to the third and fourth generation, right? In order to turn us away, back to him. He's saying, whatever it's going to take, I want your heart to be turned to me. Whatever it's going to take, even if I must discipline you to the third and fourth generation, I, your God, am jealous, and I'm not going to stop pursuing you. There's another verse in Zechariah, Zechariah chapter uh, 8, and I'm going to read verse uh, 1 and 2. Zechariah is a little verse, a little book of the Bible that I had to look for. It's the next to last book in the Old Testament. So if you go to Matthew and go back two books, there's Zechariah chapter 8. Listen to what it says. It says, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Zion. I am burning with jealousy for her. Yeah, God is claiming himself to be a jealous God. And so, yeah, if you've ever lived in, in this world and wondered, why, God, why won't you leave me alone, right? I want to pursue the things I want to pursue. I want to go the places I want to go. Why do you keep tugging me back to you? Why do you keep connecting my life with your church? Why do you keep convicting me of doing wrong? Why do you allow my plans to fail? Why do you allow the things that I have and I've collected for myself, that I've built my life and my existence and my identity upon, why do you allow those things? things to come to nothing, right? And God is saying, because I'm jealous for you and I will not stop pursuing you because I created you for me. Now, if we go back to James chapter three, and I want to just talk about one more thing in that verse, James chapter four, verse five, where it says, or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit. Um, that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us. This, this spirit that he's talking about, that he's caused to dwell in us. Um, this is the, the spirit of God that gives us life, right? He's not really talking about the Holy Spirit that we read about in the New Testament that was given to the people that, that uh, manifests itself in signs and wonders among the people that people might believe. He's talking about this spirit that gives us life, this animating spirit. If we go back to Genesis chapter 2, all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, and this is the creation of man, it says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground, then the Lord formed man, a man, from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, it's a little confusing here, but this word uh, for breath here in the Old Testament is also used for spirit. So it's literally that God is breathing into human beings the spirit of life. 
And so in the Old Testament, we see that the that life itself came from God's Spirit being breathed into human beings. And what James is pointing us back is all the way to the beginning of human beings and saying that since that time, God has jealously desired that Spirit, right? The one that gives us life. God has jealously desired that Spirit, not because God has something to gain, but because we are most complete and satisfied in God alone. See, James wants us to see that God's love is perfect and self-sufficient, right? God wasn't pursuing us jealously in order that he may feel good about himself. God wasn't pursuing us jealously because he was lonely, right? God wasn't pursuing us jealously because all his friends were in a relationship and he wasn't, God wasn't pursuing us (laughs) God wasn't pursuing us jealously for any other reason other than he wanted our completion, our satisfaction, right? Our perfection, our maturity to be completely found in him. He had nothing to gain. And James is saying, you, the church, you have everything to gain. You have everything to gain. Now, what James does here at the end of this section, and, um, I, I, you know, I looked at this, and I was like, I could spend three weeks in this these couple of verses, and we're not going to do that. Um, so I want to challenge you, right? He, he kind of lays out these steps, right? It's almost like, how then should we respond to God's jealousy, right? To a God who's, who's jealous. And he kind of lists out these ways that we ought to respond Starting in verse 7, James chapter 4, verse 7. And he actually lists out uh, 10 imperative words, right? 10 imperative verbs for us, which are action verbs. He's saying, this is the action that ought to come out of your life in response to a God that's jealously pursuing you. First thing he says is submit yourselves then to God, right? Submit to God, right? Um, um, Yeah, let God be the leader of your life. Right? Say yes to God. Right? That's a clear way of saying that. Right? Say yes to God. God, whatever you would have me to do, the answer is yes. Right? You can even say yes to God. Um, you, you, you might not want to say yes to me, um, before I ask you to do anything because <laughs> I, I, yeah. Um, but, but you can be assured that what God asks you to do, you can count on that it's ultimately going to be for your good. I, w- I would hope the same thing about me, but I can't be, I can't be a hundred percent sure. Um, <clears throat> um, so, so wait till I ask first and then say, huh, should I do that? Um, work day is for your good. I'm, I'm just telling you. Uh, <laughs> so, but he's saying submit to God, give God a yes, even before he, he asks it, right? In response to the jealousy of God, je- God is jealously pursuing you not to gain anything for himself, but simply out of his perfect self-sufficient love, right? And what he has for you is ultimately for your good. So say yes to God today, right now, right? Say yes to God, whatever it is tomorrow, whatever it is the next day, whatever it is the next day. Yes, I'm saying yes to God. So that's the first thing James uh, teaches us. And you can, you can even during the week kind of walk a little bit slowly, slower through these steps. Next thing he says is resist the devil, right? Resist the devil. When, when, um, when you find something in your life tugging you, and it may be the same persistent temptation, 
that's there at every turn that when you think, oh, yeah, I've gotten over that one, and boom, right, hits you like a ton of bricks. He says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, right? So, so submit to God, resist the devil. It already said in James, I think it was chapter 2, we passed that verse, where it says, um, it said, uh, you believe in God, so what, right? The demons believe that and shudder, right? The devil already knows the power and the strength of God. So the scripture is saying, hey, submit to God, and then resist the devil because God is fighting for you. He's going to flee for, from you, right? And he says, come near to God, and God will come near to you, right? This is this idea of, of building ourselves up spiritually, right? begin um, uh, having time set aside in our life for us to get to know God better, right? We, we talk about being in a relationship with God, but we give no time to that relationship. James is saying, hey, come near to God. Build that relationship up with God. Then he says, wash your hands, you sinners, right? So clearly, um, work, work on transforming your outward actions, right? Your hands, wash your hands. Then he says, purify your hearts, right? So it's not just about an external change. God's not just concerned about this behavior modification, changing what you're doing, right? He's concerned about your heart. And we've talked about that, right? Because our actions ultimately flow from the heart. So he says, wash your hands, purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he says, grieve, and it's these three that kind of go together. Actually, there's four. Grieve, mourn, wail, right? It's be, be saddened, yeah, be, be saddened over um, the effects of sin and actions that are not like God. And then James wants to clarify, clarify this. He says, mourn, right? Have this inward uh, sadness, this inward grief over the effects of sin and actions that are not like God. And then there's this, also this outward um, sadness or grief over the effect of actions that do not honor God. And so James is saying, ultimately, um, don't make light of sin in this world. And that becomes so common where we almost make a mockery over the things in our life that don't line up with God himself. And so he's saying, hey, take this seriously. He says, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. Now, I mean, he's not... He, He's not telling us to walk around and act like somebody stole our cupcake, right? Um, Where our our lips out and like like all of life is over, doom and gloom, right? But he is saying don't make light of sin in this world, right? That this is serious. um, It's it's serious now, and it's serious because your lives ultimately, God is forming a community that points to the coming reign of God, right? The reign of God himself, and it's serious eternally. And so he, he says, yeah, change your laughter to mourning, your joy to gloom. And then he reminds us of the thing he's been reminding us all along in this book is humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord, not depreciate yourself right don't look down upon yourself don't lessen your value but recognize the value that you have in god right that your significance that your worth is in god right and so it's not about making much of my skills or my abilities or my talents right it's about making much of god and recognizing that my significance is only found in him. And so James says, humble yourselves. 
Because without humbling yourself, the way of wisdom is closed to you. See, James wants us to see that godliness is a far superior way of life, that it's worth pursuit. And he wants us to pursue it with everything within us. Because when we pursue it, we get God. A God that's jealously been in pursuit of us. Because he has good for us. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you give us this opportunity to uh, read and study this scripture, God. We, um, yeah, I, I thank you that you are a jealous God. And God, even in this moment, I think of some of the ways that I've pursued my own desires. And the, the way the world and the things I've desired have been unable to stand up under the weight of my desire. They've fallen. They've been crushed. They've let me down. And I've grieved over that. But today, in light of James, my grief is turning to joy because I see in the scriptures that they didn't just fall, they didn't just crush but that you tore down the desires. You tore down the things that my desire was resting upon so that my hope would not be found in those things, but that my hope would ultimately be found in you. And God, I pray for myself and I pray for Tri-Cities Church this morning that you will tear down the things that we place our hope upon. God, that you will, in a, even in a dramatic fashion, that you will crush them, that you will destroy them, that our hope might be found in you alone. <laughs> that we might experience joy that is true joy satisfaction that is lasting, hope that is eternal. God, we thank you for Jesus and what he did on the cross. It's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning we talked a lot about God's jealously pursuing you. And maybe you Maybe you walked in this door and you knew that God was jealously pursuing you. And maybe that's what even brought you here was the jealous pursuit of God. And maybe you didn't have words for it and couldn't identify it and couldn't name it. Maybe you walked in and said, I don't even know why I'm here. But I sense, yeah, that God is calling me. Hey, I... I want to challenge you today, right, to make today that day to make a decision to not just let God pursue you, but turn and pursue Him. And this morning, I'm going to be back at the Next Steps table uh, after service, and Kim will be back there as well, my wife. And um, we'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. What it looks like 
to not just look over your shoulder and know that God's pursuing you, but to turn and look at God's glorious face and pursue him. It changes our lives forever. And it's worth it. Because he's worthy. So this morning, we're going to share in a time of communion, and we're going to sing a song, which is really just a response to, to the message, to the scriptures. And as we sing this song, maybe you have a decision to make, and if you do, think about it and come back and talk to me. Right? Maybe there's a personal decision that you need to make in this moment. Right? Pray about it. Think about it. Make that decision. Share in communion and know that it's God that gives you strength. Whenever you feel comfortable, feel free to make your way to one of these tables and sharing. I'm sorry. I I, I just fumbled that. (laughs) Actually, we're just going to sing this song as a response. And then someone else is coming up to do a communion thought for us. So let's just stand and sing this song in response.